You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. You were allowed to drink caffeine drinks at Aptekissik, except you couldn't buy them there if you were a student. The only Coke machine was in the teacher's lounge. There was a coffee one, too, and I liked to drink coffee if it was half cream and sugar, the way my mom drank it, but Coke made my stomach burn. Still, I enjoyed breaking into the teacher's lounge for a Coke on occasion to practice stealth. I didn't care about getting any practice right then, and I certainly wasn't hoping to find any joy. Nor was I kidding myself that a teacher's lounge Coke's value as a tribute was equivalent to a smashed-apart gym clocks. But if I didn't do something at least a little hard for June, then what? The dickhead-beaten feeling wouldn't go away. Aptekissik's passing periods lasted four minutes, which meant four minutes tops to get in and out of the lounge unseen. There was always the possibility of a dawdling teacher or a teacher who let her class out a couple minutes early and went straight to the lounge, but those things weren't worth being too concerned about, even though they ticked the clock down. With the right coinage ready, it wouldn't take more than 35 seconds to get the coke and exit. Even with a balled-up dollar to flatten, I'd gotten in and out of there in under a minute. The thing to be concerned about was getting caught in the doorway. Adam Levin's work has appeared in Tin House, McSweeney's, and Esquire. His first novel is The Instructions. Thank you for joining me, Adam. Thank you for having me. Well, this is obviously, just to look at it, a monumental book. And and actually, to read it, it is, too. It's an immersive, immense reading experience. And one of the things I think this does, it, it attempts to do and succeeds to do, is to address an entire body of literature of of Jewish fiction and I'd like you to talk about your experience of that as a reader and Mm -hmm. how that built up within you to Mm -hmm. come out as it has in this book as a writer um hmm well well I'm not sure this is a whole but the whole body of Jewish fiction you know but but um I think that I've read Philip Roth sort of uh, religiously since I was, you know, 19, and really, like, genuinely kind of religiously, um, where I've, I've reread most of the novels multiple times, and um, and I started thinking that, that this is, I, I'm reading him the way folks study Torah, and, you know, I did that as, as, as a boy a little bit, like Hebrew school, not, I wasn't a Torah scholar, but, um, and uh, I, I think... Roth is Roth seems seemed to me like this sort of essential part of being a Jewish American, uh, in the way that I would imagine, you know, only Torah did before before Roth. Like, like to, to you know, there's this was like it seems like this thing that is as a as a Jew in the United States, you you read Roth uh, and understand who you are a little more. You know, um, you know, and maybe we could say the same about Woody Woody Allen movies. You know, like there's there's the, but your identity is sort of pegged somewhat to these, you know, big funny Jews, uh, <laughs> you know, in Roth's case, you know, uh, angry Jews, I think, too. Uh, so so does, does that answer your question? Well, I, I wanted to, you, you're coming close, but I wanted to talk about, as a boy, yeah. reading the Torah, you talked yeah. about studying that, mm-hmm. that uh, puts, ingrains into mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. the act of reading and thinking seriously mm-hmm. what you're reading and also taking in a certain style of mm-hmm. language, a, sure. a stylized language. Right. Uh, how has that kind of stylized mm-hmm. language um, entered your life? I mean, mm-hmm. could you talk about that? Um, well, I think, you know, it's like this. I, you know, I did not I did not do much studying in Hebrew. <laughs> you know, it was it was mostly like we, were, we were studying the stories, but, but I think that... Um, what what studying what studying in Hebrew school did was give this sort of you know sort of standard answer, but I think it's it's true is this, this respect for the text where um, you want to know what is what is not being said right so you look closely at what is being said and you splice up the words <laughs> and you know in English this is um you know when you're doing it to to Torah it's not as as deep as when you're doing it in Hebrew but it's it's still it's there you can't um, yeah I, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm just gonna trail off there. <laughs> Well, now, this book is is a really fascinating book, and and at its one of its many hearts mm-hmm. is the idea of what a messiah is, mm-hmm. and 
you know, I, I, when I think about fiction that deals with messiahs, it's not, there's not a lot out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the only thing that came to mind, mm -hmm. and I think it's not dissimilar in some ways, is Dune. <laughs> it's really weird you say that, you know. And I have uh, I loved Dune when I was younger, and there was a point uh, where I was like, how much am I how much am I clicking into Dune here um, with the weapons? Because it was like this is this is a thing in Dune. Do if you remember this mm -hmm. this um. He has this this uh, the voice gun mm -hmm. thing, you know, and like, and you know, there's there's a there's a weapon that Gorian invents in this book, uh, and I was like, huh, this this is a little Dune-ish. I got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to write Dune. Um, and uh, but but as far as uh, messianic fiction goes, uh, I think there's actually kind of a lot. It's just usually it, it is. I mean, I guess it, it, in Dune, it is about him being, you know basically the messiah not in a not in really a figurative way whereas like you know a lot of the the way that we think of uh messianic fiction or the i don't even that, know if that's a real term but like you know, we have cool and luke right mm -hmm. um and so you have the, the the messiah parable kind of stuff um and i think i was really um not wanting to do that uh I was I, I, because that seems that seems spent. Like I love Cool Hand Luke, but it's sort of like Cool Hand Luke did it really well. Cuckoo's Nest does it really well. You know, there there are all these um, stories that um, that that nail uh, down what we you know, a person who is standing in for a messiah, a messiah figure. You know, mm -hmm. um, rather than an actual messiah. And uh, I was like, I want to think about the actual messiah. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, and Dune, I guess it does that. And I think you know when you say it, you know it's a, it's a bunch of sci-fi stuff. You know, Matrix sort of does it. You mm -hmm. know, um, but uh, I, I hope my book doesn't look too much like the Matrix. I mean, no, no. <laughs> I know, well, but I think there's a kind of uh, one of the things I like about this this novel mm -hmm. is it does have the the feel uh, of in some ways uh, of a the world is there's some supernatural mm -hmm. aspects to the world, mm -hmm. and it delves into that and takes it very, very, very seriously. Sure, sure. And I think that's one of the the strengths of this book. Um, so talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, at, at, I just have to ask, how did you craft this book? I mean, mm -hmm. did did this book? Did you just start at word one, or it seems like a book yeah. like this, you really need some kind of. Uh, Superstructure. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I, I kind of started word one. I mean, I'm, I'm a sentence to sentence writer, and, mm -hmm. um, but I'm also like, uh, I'm an obsessive editor. So, I, 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 you know, as long as the book is, I wrote, you know, two or three times as much as was there. Like that, you know, I, I cut quite a lot, and that was because it was trying to sculpt a plot out of the book. Um, and I did start, you know, this the. The very opening scene in the book, mm -hmm. uh, where they're, they're waterboarding each other, you know, that brief thing, um, that was actually the last thing that I wrote for the book. But right after that, like right after the first page break is pretty much the first line that I ever wrote for the book. So, and, and I moved pretty much forward, and I think that's... Um, yeah, that's that's the way it went. There was another part of your question that I'm that, I, that I'm that I'm. Well, I, I was uh, wondering about the superstructure of the book. Oh yeah. Oh, and you're you're asking about the uh, the sort of uh, the supernatural stuff. Yeah. Too, right. Yeah. So the supernatural stuff. I think like my my big concern with that um, was that that Gurian um, not be mystical. That that like, like so when when things happen, there are things that in the book that happen that are that are you know arcane or mystical. These, these strange uh, kabbalistic um, moments, um, and Green rejects them all the time. I think he doesn't he doesn't so much reject them as actually accept them as mundane. <laughs> He's like, yes, like this stuff happens, and it actually is not a big deal. Like, mm -hmm. what's a bigger deal is that I can beat you up, <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, and I was thinking like like I kind of like that angle, and like like he muscles and, through them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's uh, what I think yeah. it makes them. It makes them more uh, powerful. I think mm -hmm. when you when you do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's 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 good at convincing people of things, and he's good at actual fist fights, right? Like, and so there's no. I think he doesn't. He he never appeals um, to. And this this is what I like about him is like there's he's a troublesome he's a troubling you know um, being Gorian. Mm -hmm. But like one thing I like about him is he never. He never does any any appeal to supernatural. Um, you know, he, he doesn't get he doesn't get froofy ever. He, no. he never he never he never takes on like a sagacious pose. Like mm -hmm. he just is kind of sage. Like he's 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 like a smart kid, but he's you know he's not. Um, he doesn't he doesn't look deep in your eyes and tell you you know your secrets. Like and you know. I don't know. He doesn't. No, he just yeah. he he either pounds you <laughs> or says something that's yeah. really impressive yeah. and yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, 
the other book, this this also reminded me a bit, your, your mm-hmm. prose and the way this kind of unfolds, it reminded me a bit of Ralph Ellison. Oh, really, of Invisible Man? Yeah. I love Invisible Man. That's hugely flattering. Um, uh, I mean, and I guess, you know, like, you said because because there's a lot of speech giving. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually, I had not read all of Invisible Man until I was, re- like, I read, you know, Battle Royale a million times. Mm-hmm. And I think I picked up the book. I used to be a lazy reader. I became a much less lazy reader. Um, I think I picked up the book in, you know, various times before I started Gorionic War, but I never, or the Gorionic War, before I started the instructions. That's your old title. <laughs> but, uh, but I never, uh, but I'd never read the whole thing till about maybe like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, I was like I was I'd I'd been doing these like Green had been speaking these speeches and a lot of the characters had been monologuing, and um, it made me a little nervous where I was like I know I like this like but I don't know if this is cool <laughs> like mm-hmm. and then and Invisible Man a lot of it are these you know these, these sort of long speechifying like that, that that's awesome that is, is gripping and so I was like man like I guess well this is an acceptable form but now I'm not now I can be compared to Ralph Ellison and that's no good because you can't be Ralph Ellison. Like, <laughs> no, you don't You don't need to be. Trust me, people are going to want to be Adam Levin. Trust oh, me. that's nice. That's nice. Uh, well, well, describe to us this figure of, of Ben-Gurion. Who is he and, and how did you conceive of, of this kid? This is an amazing, yeah. amazing creation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, he, he seriously, like, in all honesty, like, he is the kid that I, you know, fantasized that I was when I was a kid. He was the guy I wanted to be. I never knew him, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but it was like, when I was a kid, you know, um, I, I got in fist fights, you know, like, we got, like, I think, like, my, my, my crew of friends, we got in, like, like when I was, and when I was his age. Mm-hmm. It's all stopped by high school. I mean, junior high and earlier is very strange to me when I think about it and when I think about um, sort of popular American representations of suburban junior high. It was, was kind of different from, from my experience. Mm-hmm. Um we got there was a there was a lot of fighting. I mean, it wasn't really as terrifying as as, as you know some of the stuff that maybe happens in, in the book. Or but um, but there was I had gotten fights all the time. And this was an important part of my identity was that I was that I could win fights um, and that I had tough friends. Um, and another part of my identity that was important was that I would be the smartest. Right. Um, this is you know this comes from my my you know loving Jewish parents you know you're the smartest and the handsomest they said this I think they actually believed it which is you know nuts um, but uh, I think they did and you know in Hebrew school um, I I was really you know interested in what they were teaching me and and I really liked the idea this is Maimonides idea that there's a Messiah born every generation or a potential Messiah born every generation and I think that I and a number of kids that I went to Hebrew school with, we, you know, it was being put in our heads that maybe we were that guy. You know, it was like we were, we weren't being told maybe we were that guy, but we sort of were. It was a sort of sideways thing where it's like, you know, act well and maybe you get to be the Messiah or something. <laughs> and like, you know, as a kid, you can delude yourself about a lot of stuff, but I never thought it was, you know, the Messiah. I'm not saying that, but, but in my head, that, that fantasy, it seemed possible somehow. And I think, um, Gurian is, uh, he's what I would have had to be to actually, <laughs> you know, for that to be a reasonable thing to think, right? Because you read it and you're like, well, maybe he's, he is really spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't. <laughs> but, 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 he was, but I think he was, the, he was the sort of fantasy version of... Well, yeah. you know, one of the things that strikes you from the second you start this book is the incredibly powerful prose. Thank you. Um, and I'm wondering how much... The, it sounds like some... M- well, uh, how long did it take you to write this book? Let me before we got the book. How long did you take you to write this book? Nine years. Nine years. Very long time. Not not really considering what's there. I mean, I was <laughs> say it's pretty fantastic. You know, the other I, I think of uh, Ulysses is the other mm-hmm. book that this also reminds me of <laughs> in terms of the way time is splintered. But mm-hmm. let's get back to this prose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really amazing and it's really variegated. You have have a variety of styles in there, but there's a lot that's you know. The, the stuff that's told from his per- perception. Mm-hmm. And this book purports mm-hmm. to be a new scripture. Right, right. right. And, and that's... Well, that, Gorian purports <laughs> that the book is a new scripture. I, I, I do not, you know. <laughs> well, I, I like that kind of metafictional mm-hmm. frame. Mm-hmm. Did, did you always intend to have that met, kind of metafictional frame in it? Well, uh, ish. My brain kind of works that way. Like, like I didn't. I wouldn't say I intended. Like, like I actually every time that there's a move toward metafiction in my work, like I, I try to snuff it out really hard. Because <laughs> no, because I mean, like I just like I sort of like came up in my fiction reading that way. Like mm-hmm. the first like 
super beloved book for me with, that, that I ever read was uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. I read that in sixth grade, and I read it like 11 times. And it like, you know, like I remember, I just like <laughs> read a, that obsessively, and I was like, this is like me. Like I, this, this book is, you know, when I was a kid, I just thought I was special because I read this thing. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know everyone read that. <laughs> you know, I was like, but, um, but I think like that really, um, reading and rereading that um, so much, like sort of put, and, and then other Vonnegut. I mean, like Cat's Cradle, A Breakfast of Champions for sure, like, all that stuff Mother sort of night. planted the, the seed of metafictional, you know, moves yeah. in my head. Um, and uh, I think that I really just conceive of narrative that way. And I actually am always trying to, to kill that a little bit. Like, not because I think it's bad, but because I think there's, it's really, um, it's really easy for me to do that to an obnoxious degree. Because mm. there's really obnoxious metafiction in the world. Mm-hmm. There's really great metafiction in the world, right? Um, and I'm scared of being the obnoxious one. Well, you um, are definitely not the obnoxious no. one. Well, this thanks, is, it's a powerful, powerful yeah. just, you know, it's a, it's a, what we would call a ripping yarn. <laughs> thank you. And, thank you. and good, that's good. what you that's what, what it needs to be. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things I think that you do incredibly well in this book is you explode time. You mm-hmm. you plant a time bomb in the middle <laughs> of every second and yeah. explode it into mm-hmm. a million little thoughts mm-hmm. and sentences. Right. And I think this is an interesting way. Mm-hmm. In many ways, this book is an exploration of human consciousness. <laughs> Of, of okay. how we perceive and apprehend the world, of what it's like, mm-hmm. what the, the the hamster wheels that run in mm-hmm. all of our minds. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering how, you know, when it's done in your book, it's mm-hmm. it's entertaining to read mm-hmm. and, and gripping. Mm-hmm. But I talk about editing your own hamster wheel and turning sure. it into Bangurians because it's a, you have a, a wonderful prose voice there. Well. Um, First, thank you. Secondly, um, I think I, I basically, I was, I was a very, and I think I still am very, but I certainly was a super dedicated short story writer for, you know, eight years, right? Um, like, this is, this is, like, what I focused on from, like, the time I was 17 till about the time, you know, like, till a year into writing this book, mm-hmm. right? Writing short stories obsessively. And um, in doing that, um, I came to be it became very important to me that, that everything on the page has like super is super dense with meaning, right? That there are no wasted moments or breaths. Um, and I think that when I'm, when I'm editing and like this, this effect that you're talking about that, that, that there is on time, it's like, um, when the sort of, when the plot of the book sort of came clear, like the way things were going to go down, mm-hmm. um, I was like, all right, like I, every moment really has to count. And I think there's this weird sort of counterintuitive thing where the the longer the book was getting the more I was like this really has to count it was like I didn't I never at any point had the feeling like well it's really it's it's I'm at 600 pages what's what's 20 pages you know like it was never like that. it was it was really like man I'm at 600 pages like this this has to become more intense and more intense and so um when I'm when I was editing it which I was doing all along and then for you know a year and a half after I you know sold it to McSweeney's um that was it was it was about that it was about just tightening everything and um and i think that the the reason why the the moments when you're talking about you're saying time being exploded i think that feeling um is a result of me just making everything count for plot like i don't think there's there there are no moves in the book at least in my mind that don't move things forward like mm. it's always forward moving and so to do that non-stop um yeah, I mean, like that. Yeah, that it's I think a thousand that, that, page page yeah. turner. <laughs> thank, in, thank in you, many, thank you, thank in you. many ways. Talk about this prose style the, mm-hmm. about Ben Gurion because this mm-hmm. is it's flowing and kind of poetic in mm-hmm. a way, but also gnarly. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's. He's not a nice guy, particularly. <laughs> not not necessarily somebody yeah. you want yeah. your kid to hang out. Right, with. right, right. Well, he's if if he's going to be your kid's friend, maybe you do. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're little, you know, my, you know, unless he's going to get him in trouble. But he's a protect your protect your daughter. But uh, no, I mean, I think that that with with him, um, you know, I there are, I've, I've I'm also you know a big fan of you know the sort of genre of kid fiction i think like you know like uh child's exploitation yeah child's yeah well i certainly i love child's exploitation but that's like at a distance you know but mm-hmm. as a kid that that was huge you know um and uh you know uh over the edge and the outsiders and all uh-huh. these you know um these sort of yeah romanticizing violent kids type movies i certainly like those um but i also like i really like the glass family i mean mm-hmm. i'm sort of salinger obsessed um and i think uh they're they're the situation of children in fiction usually is terrible. Mm. Um, it's usually really condescending and like, and, and you know, and precious. And I think that I was 
being I was very conscious all along of making Gorian not cute. Right? He is I was uncompromising. Like, yes, as as children are. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I think you do capture mm-hmm. about this particular age uh, mm-hmm. that these kids are not precious. Right, right. They they are completely uncompromising. Oh, and I'm good to Somewhat I'm frightening. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, because I think you know, in you know. When I when I when I was a kid, I mean, like, and I think there's a certain degree of me as an adult that, that sees this. I mean, it's not a, it's not a violent reaction to it, but when I was a kid, you know, there are the kids who are cute, and then there are the kids who are cutesy, right? And the mm-hmm. cutesy is a behavior. It is it is a self conscious. I am cute. Look at me. Act cute behavior. And those kids bothered me when I was a kid. Like they were, and and they were they were unendearing. And I I think that um, a lot of um, of self-consciously cute folks. I mean, that's just generally as a rule. I mean, I think we don't like cutesy things, mm-hmm. but in literature, for some reason, there are all these cutesy moves that get that get made with children, and you know, all, a bunch of aw shucks and g's, and and vocally, it's a lot of stuff that I think uh, gets ripped off from uh, from Holden Caulfield, who who I love. I you know love Catcher in the Rye, but like, you know, someone throws in an oh boy in the middle of a sentence, right, and suddenly. You kind of want to give him a hug, but you also feel kind of cheap. You know, you're like, I, I've been made to want to give this this narrator a hug because he said, "Oh boy," and "Oh goddamn," you know. And it's like, and so I think like when I was doing when I was writing Gorian, uh, doing his voice, um, it was really a lot about cutting out any of the cute stuff and trying to cut away those those kind of vocal tics those that, are, that I think of as Salingerian, um, and they're great in Salinger and they're never good anywhere else. I don't think. Um, yeah. I have to say that almost from the first page of this book, I found it kind of deeply disturbing and mm-hmm. terrifying, in, in a sense, <laughs> okay. that such a child should exist and that just this perception uh, of the world uh, and, 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 and what transpires as, um, I guess it's unsettling. I guess there's a sense, sort of a sense of the uncanny in, in, the, in the Freudian sense of something just slightly off and I, and it's not that it's off i think actually as you observe that it's actually that you're showing us kids the way they really are I, I, that's nice <laughs> i like that um yeah i mean there's uh yeah it's almost a horror novel yeah there's no it certainly goes dark i mean at the mm-hmm. end like but I, and i think i mean i think there's a thread in there um, you know, I, I wrote it for so long, so it's like it's like like thinking these things are there that might be me overreading my own work, and you know, you can never tell. But it's like there, 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 and I've been hearing responses like this lately. But it's that it starts out it's fairly comedic, and mm-hmm. you know, there's this love story happening, right? Um, but in the meantime, there is this there's sort of this cloud overhanging it, and I think I think I I, I tried to plant this this cloud in for to, so when you get to the dark ending, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's not um, where did that come from? Uh, but but it should there there's a little bit of yeah, when the kids are mean to each other, um, when the kids are hurting each other, the violence is turned up a little, and um, you know, and as you said earlier, you know, Gorian is uh, Gorian is uncompromising and, and uncompromising in his harshness when there's somebody doing something off right but mm-hmm. hopefully there's um there's like a flip side to that where it's like you know he is he's actually really kind-hearted to nice kids mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I don't know it's, it's well he's, his what i guess what i think is interesting is that he's kind-hearted and, and to to nice kids but in a, a manner that clearly informs the reader and i think n- to a certain degree, those around him mm-hmm. that they better not mess with them. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that damage, yeah. and this is a this is right. a theme through this yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, will 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 come unto them who mm-hmm. mess with his friends. Sure, sure, and, absolutely. And, and I think that that kind of mm-hmm. that uh, f- there's a ferocity. I think mm-hmm. from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and that's I think the the right word. Yeah, that to, is, to is. this yeah. to this character. Yeah, actually, I, there was one point at which I was uh, wanted to call the book. Uh, what was it? It was like un- unending ferocity or something. It was like I like the word <laughs> ferocity. The, 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 yeah, I mean he's he is uh, yeah he <laughs> he's definitely um, you know someone who will you know you know throughout the book is is it is a, he who is all about protecting his friends and being loyal and these things are really important to them and I think I think um, I tried to make it that they they were important to him in an unstupid way where it wasn't just you know the sort of like. Um, mafioso kind of like take care of my friends you know like the whole thing that we're that we're familiar with from from film which mm-hmm. works awesome in film but again like it's sort of it's old news thing where he's actually he, he ends up questioning a lot i think what loyalty is about and as mm-hmm. does his his closest friend benji right it's like 
they um the people to whom he's loyal uh he is ferociously loyal and i think that i'm having a hard time wording this uh yeah i don't know (laughs) well now um let's talk just a little bit about one of the things that kind of because this is a scripture, mm-hmm. it's it's really steeped in a lot of interesting tradition. Mm-hmm. I mean, so talk about you know the uh, uh, who Adonai is mm-hmm. and, and what that tradition is, mm-hmm. um, because I think it <clears throat> it really informs the book mm-hmm. and, and yeah. it helps to understand who that mm-hmm. is going in. Sure, sure. Well, I think you know Adonai, you know God, Jewish God. He's he's uh, we read the Old Testament, uh, the, the Torah, however you you think of it. Um, he's like a really tough, pissed off dad, right? I mean, he's like, he's jealous and he's angry and there he's, he is, he's not, um, he's actually not perfect. And he's, he's also not all powerful either. I mean, there, there, there's, he's really powerful. He's absurdly powerful. Um, he is, um, a really good guy in a certain sense. Like he's, he'll do what he says, most of the time, <laughs> but in another sense, he's jealous. He's not. He's not. He's not a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, you like. You don't want to piss him off, right? And uh, I think that we. Um, I think you know Christianity sort of transformed our idea. Like there's, there, it tries to make sense of Jesus being his his son, mm-hmm. right? And because uh, Jesus was was pretty much a sweetheart. He had his moments of, of rage, you know. But but uh, he was he was a much nicer message than 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 you know his purported fathers. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that to to make uh, Adonai make sense in light of Jesus, we sort of have this idea that he's perfect. This gets put this gets put into our brains as Westerners, and um, but he's not the, the 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 scripture. He doesn't he doesn't read perfect. He mm-hmm. reads he reads pretty awesome, <laughs> and you know and, awesome but, but, and not one, yeah. not a guy you want to mess with. No, exactly, exactly. But but really, he reads ultimately. He's pretty human. I mean, like he reads like like. like um, he does get pissed off, like, and this is not, this doesn't roll really too too easily with, I think, the conception of, of God that we're that we're taught as Americans more mm-hmm. than in, in any kind of uh, church specific specifically, like, um, but we get this this God who's nice because if you have a God who, who who does violence, you know, and who gets pissed off and is justified, you know, by his power and mm-hmm. in that justification hurts people, then. What does that do for for you know the religious like that? Then, then suddenly you know they get even more violent. <laughs> you know, but uh, but uh, yeah, and and I think you know in terms of of how those stories read, um, they're really ex- it's you know the Torah is pretty exciting. The Book of Samuel and the Book of Judges is like absurdly exciting. I mean, these are like this is about dudes just walking around saying really tough stuff mm-hmm. and hurting people. And well, like, sounds, and you know, and that's the exactly judges, what this yeah. book is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you, but but we don't, you know, we don't usually talk about that. And, and I think in um in a lot of in a lot of fiction, that aspect of things is not so represented. I mean, like um, in Blood Meridian, it certainly is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think usually like uh, we don't get we don't get to see that as much. And like let alone acknowledge kind of the pleasure in that, <laughs> you know, that there's like, like, I mean, the aesthetic pleasures, like, cause you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I like, I don't take any pleasure in, in watching two guys get in a fist fight. Well, I shouldn't say I take none, but, but I, I don't, like, I don't, like, if we were, if we go take a walk after we're done doing the show and, and we come across two guys who are fighting each other in the street, it's the odds are, you know, greatly in favor of me being upset by this. Right. Mm-hmm. But on a screen, if it's choreographed well, I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of problematic in, in like, in a way, or maybe it's not. Like, I, I don't know, but it's, it's certainly, it's interesting to be like, I don't know why I really like watching fist fights on a screen and, and live, they, they upset me. I know, because I don't think it's because I'm scared I'm going to get in the fist fight um, if it's live. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, well, it's it's interesting. Um, the, uh, just the, con- talk about the concept of, uh, of, of damage in this book because that 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 is a theme mm-hmm. yeah well um i think you know there's all right so the concept of damage um there there is this idea uh uh in judaism tikkun olam which is repairing the world right um that, that this is the sort of this is our idea this this is what we're here to do um as jews and really as human beings is fix fix a damaged world right um and the Kabbalists, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not the expert on this, but, but the Kabbalists, they say, you know, we're basically the earth right now is sort of a blemish on the perfect face of God, right? And so, but a self-repairing blemish, um, that that this is this is, you know, what we're here to do is 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 
basically become a pure, you know, a purer part of God, something along those lines. And Gurian um, says he sort of rolls with that. Actually, he's a, his 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 idea is like yes, like we're we're here to perfect the world in a lot of ways. Um, we're here to bring justice to the world, and you know, his idea of what perfection might be is a little complicated. But um, he says basically the world is damaged. We're supposed to fix the world, and the way we fix the world is by damaging the damage. And this is, I mean, that's 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 sort of the that's the idea. That's that's his idea, and it it jibes pretty well with most wars that we get into. I think, like you know, I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not an unreasonable thing. It's just when it's put in religious terms, it becomes a lot scarier because you're like, wait, religion is supposed to sort of hold back those kind of impulses, and I, I think mostly, and 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 uh, Gurian. It's like no, you know, we will religiously go around like smiting wrongdoers. Like that's that's how it should be, you know. Um, it's joyous. It's a jo- joyous thing to smite the wrongdoers. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that, for me at least, has makes this book have an undercurrent of fear. Mm-hmm. Is that um, it takes? It, I think it takes religion back mm-hmm. to its origins mm-hmm. yeah, and because it is indeed a scripture and, mm-hmm. and our religion has through year you know decades centuries of accretion of civilization mm-hmm. kind of separated us from the violence that religion used to we look at you know the the lightning smites uh, smites <laughs> our our, right. our pal and, mm-hmm. and and you know that's the world go, going right. against us and i think right. that you Bring that, bring us right back down to that state. Make Good. religion <laughs> scary as heck again. All right. <laughs> so talk about uh, creating, uh, in a sense, your own new religion. I mean, this is a this is a time honored uh, tradition of science fiction writers. Again. <laughs> yeah, the Gurianism. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's. Uh, I think I think Gurian would say that it's not a new religion. He would say, you know, this is this is a uh, this is uh, this is Judaism. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so we're we're Israelites. Um, my, I'm, this is this is the true Judaism, which is what Jesus Christ said, right? Which mm-hmm. is, um, I think, what pretty much every newbie prophet says. You know, this is this is the real thing, of, from which I'm coming. Uh, it is not uh, it is not a new thing, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I th- I think that 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 you know Gorian's religion is you know if, if if that's what he creates is is fairly untenable i mean without without giving away any spoilers there are things that you know maybe make it a little more tenable that that occur uh near the end of the book um but uh he i i, I just I, I tend to think that as you know were he a real human being um people might actually follow him because uh, yeah. he is he's pretty charming mm-hmm. um and and i think that Throughout the book, I was I wasn't so much concerned with a kind of critique of religion, like old school critique of religion, because this is the thing that's done. As much as trying to understand why, um, you know, try, trying to understand the way that we relate to the powerful, right? Um, it's the appeal of religion. This isn't a critique of religion. This is a presentation of what why religion gets uh, us in the first place. Yeah, gets yeah. us in the gut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 it's it's basically you know I mean in in in, in here at least it's because. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have this this charming guy. I mean, I think it's why politicians get us too. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's you know, uh, he. Um, I think the reader, if if I did it right, the reader throughout the book, um, anytime they find themselves sort of like cheering, they're gonna feel complicated about it, and, mm. and then and, and, <laughs> complicated, and, and, right? right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like they should feel complicated. Like it's like, and and I mean, but but I want you know, I wanted to, I wanted that thing to happen where it's like. Your your sympathies are never secure. Like you're never totally comfortable with with who you want to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I, I think that that is um, that's, that's what it is to be human, or that's, that's what it is to be a good human is to never be sure. Um, now, uh, for all the darkness I've seen in this book, also it's it is very funny, uh, and your Thank character you. is very charming, and all this works out through mm-hmm. his speechifying and, <laughs> and his language, mm-hmm. and. This is a book for how long it is. It, it it's a, seems like a book that would make a good audio book to oh, hear, yeah? nice. <laughs> just because it's it, it, it's a, such a <clears throat> a spoken word performance mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Uh, do you did you read much of this aloud when you were writing? I mean, I can imagine you yeah. doing. I think it was a. Robert E. Howard, who, when he used to type the Conan stories, and I guess there's a bit of Conan <laughs> to a certain extent. He used huh. to like shout what he was writing oh well no, i never i never shouted what i was writing but but i i mean in that that sort of obsessive editing process i do read out loud to myself and it's um and i do it actually this is this is dorky but but maybe interesting i have a parrot 
Um, I have a, I have a, a Quaker parrot. And uh, he whispers, okay? And the reason that he whispers is because when I'm, when I'm, when I'm editing stuff, uh, I, I whisper. Like, I'm, I'm whispering the words, like, be, because that just gives me the rhythm of the, of the sentence because I don't need to sort of hear it full, full you know, throat, like mm-hmm. uh, the Conan dude. But, um, but my parrot would be on my shoulder, and, like, I, and, and he would hear me doing this, and he, starts, he started whispering. Does, so, does your parrot? Can your does your parrot know your book? Uh, he know, he does. He can remember. He can say the whole. No, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, no. He's pretty. The, the whispers aren't actually. Uh, there's no content. It's you know. Oh. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I uh, yeah. It's it's it's. I'm very concerned with how things sound. I mean, it's, yeah. One of the things that I think is is interesting in this, is how you, um, put together. The, the narrative and the, and the story and the plot for us mm-hmm. out of, uh, you know, this is four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, in terms of time, mm-hmm. there there's not a lot of time, but mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of space into, that you give us to explore sure. that time. Right. So talk about creating a proposal plot that's uh, obsessively detailed. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, pl- the plot kind of comes for, like, there, there's, there's, there's two things. There's... Uh, my two concerns are that the sentences be hot, you know, so mm-hmm. to speak, like that that um, they're they're funny or and they're 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 exploding in a you know reader's head, and secondly that they're moving the story forward. So um, I think that that what happened uh, was when I first started the book, I think it was going to be one day. I was like, I was like, I can do this in one day, and then I said, no, I can't do it in one day because how do I get to the parents? I, the, the, it's the sort of limitations that I set myself because I think. Most of writing is, is about setting limitations. It's about mm-hmm. saying I have to work within these boundaries. Probably most of any art, right? Um, w- was that I could not have any kind of flashbacks, right? And it turned out that I did use a couple of flashbacks, but like this is because it's about breaking. You know, you, you you deny your limitations after a certain point. Uh, but uh, but in, initially, I was like, this will be all forward moving, right? No flashbacks. And then I was like, well, then I, I get no backstory. So then it became this thing where I could have. Uh, you know, I could do f- essentially flashbacks in these document forms, right? So mm-hmm. anything that was about stuff that happens prior to these four days um, needs to be covered in these documents. Uh, so there's, you know, detention assignments, uh, there's school assignments, there's um, the, you know, school social workers, you know, paper on Gurian, mm-hmm. uh, his favorite rabbi's, you know, letter about him, things like that. Um, and then, uh, so, so, so doing that, that, that limits things in a certain way. So you have to figure out how to demonstrate um, character aspects of the narrator without him talking about them too directly. Right? Mm-hmm. And even then, I added some flashbacks. But uh, you know, does, that, does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, no. And also, I just wanted to, to ask you about you know, creating the other characters. When you've got a character who is so powerful and so magnetic and so, um, who's literally the messiah, yeah. uh, getting the other characters around him to to be as memorable as they are mm-hmm. takes some work. Talk about creating characters who can stand with a messiah mm-hmm. and but not have to stand up to the messiah. Right. Well, like like Benji, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I th- I think there was uh, with with Benji. I wanted, I wanted. Really, with all the characters, I, I think that that the other main characters in the book that are that are kids, I wanted them to be um, sort of extreme versions of one aspect of Gorian's personality. Because, like in a lot of ways, he's like sort of he's he's got um, the strength of this one, the intelligence of that one, you know, the loyalty of this one, you know, all these and and these things come together actually in a, maybe a negative way. Um, and, and so I think that what I did was you take like Benji Nakamuk, for instance, who is who is a bully, who is. Uh, Who's like definitely a bully, like bad bad news kid, but who's also I think pretty likable. He's he's I think probably my favorite guy in the book, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he uh, creating him was just was that's it sort of came natural. It was it was like you know who I, I create the bad guy who you you love. He was supposed like I mean I want to say he was he was I wanted him functionally to be kind of the Mercutio in the book, uh, like he wanted to be the treat when he walked on the scene. You know mm-hmm. like like he was the guy you looked forward to. Um, and then I think Vinci was sort of a little. Initially, he was different. Vinci in my head, he, he became a lot more complicated for me. Um, initially, he was just going to be sort of Nakamuk's sidekick, and then I was like, no, nah, I really like Vinci. <laughs> you know, um, and June, uh, you know, she's the the artist girl. She's the archetypal, you know, art girl that you you know you fall in love with in junior high. You know, uh, so I don't know. Is that, is that answering the question? I mean, yeah, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
as as you were putting this novel through its paces over mm -hmm. nine years, mm -hmm. um, could you talk about the, did your original vision survive, or did you or or did did it undergo as radical a change mm -hmm. as as you know what what happens in the book? I would say it changed a lot. I mean, like the it be, it it ends pretty much where I wanted it to. Well, not the very very ending. I would but the the final movement of the book is mm -hmm. the final movement I envisioned for the book. Um, for the most part, mm -hmm. uh, but how how I got there changed a ton over the years. Like I said, I mean, it started out it was going to be one day. There's a point, you know, you mentioned metafiction earlier. There's a point where the things that happened in the book were going to end up being like virtual or something. Like it was, there was, there were all these, all these sort of. Uh, so it was going to be the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> I think it was just it, there was a way like some of the stuff like sort of scared me as like you know I was like I was like if I if I if I if I you know the metafiction that, that I think that's one of the dangers with the metafiction is like it mm -hmm. gives you an out like there are all these you know layers that you can put between you know yourself and a reader right mm -hmm. um, you know that I'm not really telling you this story so you know if I, if, I, if it's not funny when it's supposed to be funny I meant it to not be funny when it was <laughs> you, you know what I mean like, like uh -huh. there's all like there, you can do that and uh, and I think you know with this there was it this ending was huge I like big endings I like things to get bigger and bigger mm -hmm. um and uh. I think there was this fear that I was going to screw up the big ending, like it was that, that it was not going to be as big as I wanted it to be, and I had to keep on metaing that. <laughs> you know, so, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, this is a, a book too that because you're dealing with a messiah mm -hmm. and, and with religion, I mean, it speaks to a lot of you know our fears mm -hmm. uh, in an inverse manner. I think uh, of terrorism and and mm -hmm. what you know what what can happen. When when people believe they're the Messiah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and, and so, uh, as you are writing this, and this, as and you've been writing this since two thousand one, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. was it? Did it start before or after nine eleven? But I think a month after, because I started I started my MFA program in like oh two weeks before September eleventh. So mm -hmm. I, and I started working on the book like I think about a month after. Yeah. So um, talk about how um, that kind of fear, pervasive fear in our society plays mm -hmm. out in the book and just played out for you writing the book? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, you know, well, first, like, I, I should say this. I have, I haven't had a television that got channels in since, since I lived in my parents' house. Mm -hmm. So, so when I see stuff on, you know, you know TV, like, I think my, my relationship to, uh, the, the pervasive fear that everyone's always talking about is maybe a little bit, a little bit different. I don't, I don't see it as much. Mm -hmm. I see, um, but I mean, I see anytime anytime a president's talking, I see. You know, I guess <laughs> I'll just leave that as a side. Of it. But 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 um, I think that in a, in a lot of ways, uh, Gurian is. Um, I mean, he he becomes sort of a terrorist, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Like I and 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 yet maybe he's a bit likable. And and I think the thing I was more concerned about when it came to terrorism was. Uh, how people, you know, get 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 suckered into it, you know, mm -hmm. like um, how they how they can follow Bin Laden, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, Bin Laden, like you look at you look at photos of him, and and he's he looks like a pieced out guy. He looks like a he looks like a guy who is at comfort. He's comfortable in the world. He's not like a you know raging man. You can imagine meeting him, mm -hmm. and he's he's and him being feeling seeming like a warm dude, yeah, right? And then, like and then you think have, about be able to have have a cup of tea with him. Yeah, and like and and talk about some really calm stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I don't believe that's how he is. I mean, but but it's like but but on you know uh, personal like a one on one level, he, he looks to be that way. And then mm -hmm. you think about September 11th. So it's, it's a very there's a disconnection that's huge. Um, and uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm, I'm I'm not answering your question. You're asking about fear. Uh, and I mean, fear is certainly used by Gorian throughout the book, and throughout uh, you know by by a number of the kids. At one point, um, you know, uh, Nakamuk, I believe, says you know, fear is fear is contempt, uh, mm -hmm. and and I think that people who are really strong, um, you know, often feel that when they're when they're cast as bad guys, um, and maybe it is, you know, you know, why do you fear me? Like, shouldn't you be happy that I'm here to protect you? You know, like <laughs> you know, and and if you are fearing me. Um, you know, should I fear you because no one likes to be afraid? So are you going to attack me because you're afraid of me? You know, it's like, and uh, I don't know. I mean, is that? I, I don't. I don't well, think that's the situation of, of Middle Eastern terrorists at this point. But no, you know. no. But I think I, I guess what I like, one of the things I like about this book is it. It's 
um, sideways to reality mm -hmm. um, in that you can read this book and it takes you out of this world and mm -hmm. into Ben Gurion's world, mm -hmm. but you can't, and that world is not our world exactly, mm -hmm. but you can't help but look back. And it takes you, transports you so completely into his world. Yeah. You can actually kind of turn around in his world while you're reading this and mm -hmm. go, well, gosh, I guess that's my world out there. Yeah. I'm not in it anymore. I like that. I like that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about creating that world. I mean, this is a, a, in terms of a novel, one of the things that uh, science fiction novels talk about mm -hmm. is world building. Okay. Um, like a la Dune, where you create mm -hmm. this whole world that, sure. that you inhabit. And I think mm -hmm. that you do a very, very similar thing here mm -hmm. on a much more, on a microscopic level, almost mm -hmm. a microscopic mental moment-by-moment moment level. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think, I mean, if I'm, if I'm understanding right, I mean, I think that, that you're saying there, there's sort of, there's kind of, there's a, there's a thrill in, um, in seeing it, a world that is that is foreign come real to us, right? Mm -hmm. Like a world exactly. that's and 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 I, I agree, and 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 um, I, I'm glad to hear that you think that, that my book is like that. And um, I think that the way maybe that that that's achieved is by getting these characters, um, despite how big their personalities are, and you know, the, like you said, like Gorian speechifying all the time. People don't really speak in speeches, right? Mm -hmm. um, but to make it first to make things consistent between them, like every every kid in the book. Is smarter than any kid their age, right? Mm -hmm. Gorian is, you know, a lot smarter than the other kids in the book. He's much smarter but, than most people I know. Right, right. But so, so is even Vinci, right? Mm -hmm. And Vinci's like the, you know, quote unquote dumb one. Like mm -hmm. Vinci's really smart. Like they're, they're like June's obscenely smart. Um, but Gorian's smarter than them, right? <laughs> so it's like, so I think there's, there's a matter of like, it's, it's a matter of degree. So it's like bringing everything up to a certain uh, consistent level and, the, and, and, um, and keeping them human. You know, uh, for me, like, you take someone like character like Brodsky, the principal, and um, I wanted him to to be. He's, he's he I think is, is fairly complicated because he you know in that child exploitation movie from the eighties mm -hmm. would be this bastard you mm -hmm. know would be um, you know I don't know beating children you know with a paddle or something and something here almost he's, Dickensian yeah yeah and and he's actually really likable I think like mm -hmm. he's he's um he's he's sort of the bad guy but he's like uh, you know. Even Gorian kind of likes him. <laughs> he's, mm -hmm. he's 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 sweet. His his heart's in the right place. There's and so I think there 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 are a couple you know old school type villains in the book, but for the most part, um, the I think the characters are motivated in a human way, which is to say they all think they're doing the right thing. Because right? mm. I think most of us walk around thinking we're doing the right thing. I think Bin Laden genuinely thinks he's doing the right thing. Mm. That doesn't make him a good guy. No. <laughs> like I mean, and that's that's what's troubling about the universe, right? Is like <laughs> there can be really like like you know. Um, Hitler thought he was doing the right thing. All, mm. all the bad guys in the world think they're doing the right, you know, the right thing most of the time. And uh, I think that that maybe that has that effect and makes the world seem, you know, viable in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Now, uh, and, and this is, I think, one of the one of the charming aspects of this book mm -hmm. too is that you do, though you have villains, you as you say, they think they're doing the right thing. You. Sympathize with your characters, mm -hmm. so that makes it possible for us to sympathize with the characters, sure. empathize with them. Right. So that, um, as a reader, when we come across them, we don't, we're never, we're always happy to whoever we come across in this book, mm -hmm. who's speaking, we're happy to come have oh, have them in our in our in mm -hmm. our reading zone. Mm -hmm. Could you talk mm -hmm. about uh, creating, mm -hmm. you know, like a a large cast of sympathetic and distinct characters? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have bios on these? Uh, um, no, I think it's it's really a lot of it is about how they talk. It's mm -hmm. it's, it's and like part of it. I mean, like I don't know, like, like again, like I'm really I'm always suspicious when I hear authors talking about the the sort of genesis of their ideas or something. Like because really for me, it's I'm writing sentence to sentence, mm -hmm. and then and the sentences dictate who the character is, right? And then and then I you know after a, a certain point, I'm doing it on purpose. I'm saying this is this is how this person talks, how they talk, uh, you know, defines who they are. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so character to character. Um, you know, I can't have the gym teacher talk like the principal because they're a gym teacher and a principal. And I don't want them to talk like stereotypes, you know, uh, of gym teacher and principal, but you sort of have to allude to stereotypes a little bit because that's how we understand the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like, otherwise, you know, a reader's going to go, that doesn't sound like a principal. And you go, well, what does a principal sound like? A stereotype of a principal, right? Yeah. Just to sound, you know, a little bit like that. Um, so, um, I don't know, like, you take, like, Disormi, for instance, who I think is probably the least sympathetic, mm -hmm. you know, character in there. But, like, I think he is pretty fun to listen to, right? He's fun he's just, to be around yeah, because he's, yeah. he's kind yeah. of, 
he's creepy. Yeah, yeah. In a way, but uh, I I enjoyed the hell out of this yeah. for me to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. He was a, a, an engaging character. Mm-hmm. So so I mean, like with him, I think it was just like you when you let the when you let a when you let a character who's funny because he's funny. I mean, I think that's why he's engaging. He's 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 constantly saying these sort of you know borderline really offensive things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing it in this like kind of Chicago guy type way. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, he uh, that 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 you know that that makes it okay to be. You know, it's like you take like you know the mayor of my fine city. You know, Richard Daly, who's about to not be the mayor anymore, right? Like, no one thinks he's like a good guy, but everyone loves listening to him. Like he's he's you know he's <laughs> he's remarkable. The things he says are great. The things his father said. I mean, like no one mistakes you know. Richard C. Daly for a good guy, but um, you know the police are not here to you know create disorder. They're here to preserve disorder. Like, how do you not love that? Like, you want to you know? And it was like I think there's a similar thing. Like when Obama you know won the election, I was like, that's awesome. Obama won the election, but man, like we don't get to like listen to George W. Bush talk anymore. Like you know, it's it's a you know because there's there's you know when when your lives are in their hands, it's it's, you know it's worrisome to hear people. Speak in a certain way, but when when they're not, when they're sort of these, you can look at them as entertainers. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, you know, it's different. I think that's that's the way it is with characters. Uh, alas, I think uh, our previous president missed his calling working as an announcer in the wrestling. <laughs> yeah, he would have been great, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I mean, if he did a spoken word performance, if he put out a CD of an hour as just George W. riffing, I would buy the hell out of that CD. Like that would, you know, <laughs> you know, it takes. I mean, like the the, the when he addressed the there's the Republican National Convention in 2004, and he said, uh, what "Was it you know?" He said, "Some people say I have a swagger. In Texas, we call that walking." You know, and I was like, I was like, that guy, like, he earnestly delivered that. Like, he, he there's the most written line in the world, you know, like, and, and he was delivering it as if it was, you know, as if he came up with it on the spot and, uh, and, and with, you know, wearing boots and, you know, flexing his chest. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was, uh, <laughs> who does that? Andy Kaufman routine. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about uh, the, tell us about some of the, you know, Ben Gurion's origins and explain what the cage is. Okay. Um, what do you mean by the origins? His, his, uh, well, well, I mean, his his early there's his uh, I guess pre book bio. Oh, okay, okay. So so his pre book bio is uh, essentially he's he's born. He has this sort of you know kind of mythic birth. It's described in its own little little novella. Um, to he's he's born to uh, c- civil rights lawyer father who uh, is a former Orthodox Jew uh, and uh, uh, an Ethiopian-Israeli mother who is ex-Israeli special forces. Um, and so he's born to these sort of, you know, super people, <laughs> you know. Uh, and they, his father sort of, the, the idea of, you know, I guess we don't really see it so much, but his father uh, is very guarded about the, the Jewish stuff. He left, he left Jewish, you know, Orthodox Judaism. But uh, Gurian's into it, so he indulges him, and he can sort of answer his questions, but he'd rather he just be a very analytically-minded young boy. Uh, his mother teaches him to be, you know, to beat the beat people up. And his mother's also a behavioral psychologist, right? So she's, she's sort of the whole, the whole package. They're, they're, she can they're teach together. him to beat him up psychologically, yeah, verbally, yeah, yeah. and physically. Yeah, she can yeah. teach him all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and, so, and they love him. They're, they're, they are, um, they're very doting, sweet parents. Um, and uh, so he's so he comes out this this monster, <laughs> you know this is kind of you know, uh, and uh, you know I don't want to say monster I like him, but uh, he's monstrous in, in many ways. Uh, so he goes to um, Hebrew day school, uh, and is his his everyone loves him because he he reads Torah and he has all these commentaries that are brilliant and and he has he has pretty much all his teachers like him, uh, the students. Like really, they start whispering about him being the Messiah. They think, you know, this maybe this, you know, they well they don't say maybe they say he's the Messiah, and he does not want them to think that because that he's you know, it's, and he earnestly says, you know, it's possible that I'm a potential Messiah, but you know, maybe you know, but but it's also likely that I'm not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he has he has some teachers that are really behind him, and there's one that not not so much, and uh, who takes issue with his being half black, you know, um, and Gurian sort of physically assaults that guy, gets kicked out of his, his Hebrew day school in, in fourth grade, goes to another uh, Hebrew day school. Uh, there's some anti-Semitic violence, 
uh, he teaches. Uh, as, as a result of this, he, he feels he, he, this is outside of a synagogue. It doesn't even happen at school, but he calls a bunch of the kids from his school, and he says, you know, we need to learn to protect ourselves from anti-Semitic violence. And uh, so he shows them how to build these weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really simple weapons. They actually work. Mm-hmm. I, I use these as a kid. I made, I made some just the other day and sent them to booksellers. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, uh, they hurt. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can mess you up. Um, and they cost about, you know, uh, the cost of a Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, so he does that. They kick him out of that Jewish school, of course, right? He's teaching kids to build weapons, encouraging them to carry them. Uh, and then finally, he, he goes to another public school for about two days, and some, some kids pick on him, and he, he beats them up, and they claim that he used a brick, mm-hmm. right? Which he didn't. Uh, but uh, he picked one up because a, a bunch of kids were coming after him, and he, was thre- he held them off by holding this brick up. Well, uh, he, had, he has yeah. a great metaphor, too, about uh, <laughs> venting your anger through the a brick there's there's a there's a part where he talks about uh i think it's in his uh in his, the document he writes in detention yeah about about uh oh oh sure 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 the snat in the face yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah there yeah, is this idea that that you know you walk around you know and this is very it's samson sort of reads like this like if you're mm-hmm. the you know samson and um when you read about the judge samson he he really he walks around um kind of like looking to get offended like judge dread yeah it's it's really it's really strange it's like and i had this i remember as a kid you have this idea um or at least i, I used to i don't i don't think it's the same anymore um but this idea of like you could say he started it you know like like and so i would go like, like to get in a fight with somebody so at school like because now there's like zero tolerance policies and stuff mm-hmm. but in school i like you know as i said earlier like i like getting in fist fights as a little kid so it was like all about getting kids to start up with me because if they started up with me, then I could like go because I wasn't a liar. I hate I hated lying. I was like really weird. <laughs> but like you go to the principal and be like, he started up with me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he called me a name. Like so it'd be like, and you know, your version of what starting up with is you know different. But anyway, the book of Samson reads like that. I mean, like Samson walks around getting dudes to start up with him. Like mm-hmm. he won't. He wants to kill all these Philistines, but he has they have to they have to screw him over first. Like so, you know, he engages in um, you know, stupid bets with them, you know, like that where the and, and knowing that he'll he'll win the bet and they will not pay him, you know? Mm, and so, so then he can go kill them. <laughs> yeah. We gotta get our biblical language. Yeah, right yeah no kill exactly. it, it's smiting. It's smiting. Yeah, <laughs> it's smiting but, um, <laughs> but so that's uh, you know, um so so back to court. So then Finally, he gets booted. He gets booted from this last school um, in Evanston. All of this is taking place in Chicago. Then he's in this public school in Evanston because Chicago. There's his parents don't want to send him to a Chicago public school. Uh, then he so he gets kicked out of Evanston for this thing with a the brick. Uh, they won't let him into any Evanston school. And one of his teachers at the original Jewish school who really likes him, uh, he sort of muscles uh, this principal uh, of a suburban school who's in his congregation into letting Gurian in but he only will let him into the behavioral program, which is the cage, um, which is a locked room uh, that has 40 kids in it of various uh, temperament, um, some of whom are really violent kids, some of whom are just sort of weirdos and, and disruptive. Uh, and uh, The perfect environment mm, for him. Right, right, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's prison. Tank. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, these things, I don't know that, that cage programs actually exist in junior high. Where I went to high school, they had a cage program. That was... That was pretty much it <laughs> it was uh you know and in in the, in the book it is a room of um carols like the carols are all facing the wall kids aren't allowed to face each other they can't mm. see each other there's no communication between them the grades are mixed and um it's 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 you know it's a it's a thing that would bore us it would bore adults it would be it would be a lousy thing to have to do it resembles work a little bit in an office um <laughs> which is you know a lousy thing to have to do excuse me um but uh, as a kid, I think it's torturous. At least with the kind of kid I was, it's it's uh, to have to sit to have to sit in class when you're a little kid is, is rough as it is, right? You know, um, if you don't have a particularly engaging teacher, you get bored fast, or I did. Um, and uh, but on top of this, this is like this is super super disciplined class, so you can't even turn your head. Um, so they sit in these carols and um, do this work that is dull to them to begin with, and uh, basically, you know slowly melt down and seethe yeah seethe yeah that's essentially and they have and there's this you know one-armed dude with a you know a claw for an arm who who runs the cage named both who you know maybe one of the villains in the (laughs) the book Uh, are are you i know you have a collection of short stories coming Mm -hmm. out are you working on another novel 
I was, I, well, you know, <laughs> like long story short, I, I, I was, I was doing all sorts of stuff. And then, uh, I told myself I would quit smoking when I got done with a certain amount of book things. And, uh, I was a really heavy smoker for about 19 years, quit smoking mm. about seven weeks ago and have not, like I sit down to write and it just, it comes a little differently than it was. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I gotta get, you know, I'm not getting, I gotta get used to it, but, um, we're going to be, I'm going to be editing the collection really soon. Mm. Um, and then probably get back on a get back on some kind of novel but maybe stories I don't know I like while I wrote the book I was like while I was writing the book toward the end of it I was like I am not going to write another you know thousand page book I want to write you know or either a really short novel or I want to start writing stories again and so I think I'm, I might, might go toward the short novel since we're going to work on the stories anyway for the collection but I've been speaking with Adam Levin his new book is The Instructions thank you for joining me Adam thank you thank you You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.